the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I hope that you are somewhere and you are warm, either in a car with your seat warmers and heater going or at home maybe in front of a fireplace. But welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and life questions, pretty much anything on your heart. In mind, all you have to do is call us. Now, the phones have been quiet this week, so maybe we can do better today. 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 6305757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, especially on the wet streets today, the safest way to call is to use the hands-free feature of your phone in the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the big Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and everything else will be taken care of. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. We're time for our primary number. It's 340-9585. Well, it's Tuesday. I don't have any announcements to make. Hope you're all preparing for a wonderful Christmas season. Let's go right to some questions that have been sent in. Oh, I was just reminded by my producer, I didn't say anything about our Christmas dinner coming up on Sunday at 4 o'clock. So we'd we'd love to have you. You don't have to bring anything. Uh, Just come and enjoy the fellowship with lots and lots of people. Wonderful food. And I'd like to meet you. So uh, 4 o'clock on Sunday, this Sunday, at the Shirts Civic Center, um... Usually it's a couple hours, maybe maybe two and a half hours long, um, and you'll have a blast. We'd love to meet you. So that's this coming Sunday at 4 o'clock. Okay, let's go to my first question it's submitted uh, from our email inbox from Nacho. He says, in context is Jesus' reference of dogs in Matthew 7, verse 6, the same as his reference to dogs in Matthew 15 and 26. Was the use of the word dog a Jewish reference to Gentiles? As you have pointed out before uh, about the Jewishness of the book of Matthew, was Jesus using colloquial words to make his point rather than insulting the Gentiles whom he loved as well? If indeed the reference of dogs equates to Gentiles. Um, you know, not sure a couple of things here. Let me read those two passages. It's, it's, they're pretty straightforward. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 6, do not, give to, do not give dogs what is sacred. He follows that by do not throw your pearls to pigs. Um, and then the other uh, one in uh, chapter 15, 
He says, it is, he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. No, he wasn't referring to Gentiles here. Now, Jews often referred to um, Gentiles as dogs, actually lower than dogs. And there's a couple of things that we have to understand about the time. First, um, dogs weren't like little pets now. Um, dogs then were pack animals. They were scavengers. Uh, they caused difficulty. Uh, they, they, were, they were dirty at times. They, they, they would, would pose a, a hazard to people walking by. So, um, uh, you know, we see dogs and we think, why would, why would Jesus do this? Um, there's another word uh, for dogs that's used in the New Testament when um, the, the Syrophoenician woman um, just asked for the breadcrumbs, uh, but, but let the dogs of Jesus use the word there. And it was sort of a different context. It was like little lap puppies. That was, that was more of a pet. But here he's not referring to Gentiles. Jesus is simply saying, uh, you don't want to take the bread or the food that's intended for kids and toss it to those pack animals, those scavengers. And, and so the context is the same. You're right, Nacho, that, that Matthew's gospel is by far the most Jewish, but we have to remember that Jesus it wasn't like the others who would call Jews who would call Gentiles dogs. Um, Jesus knew all along he had a plan for Gentiles and that they would become the bride of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. So I hope that makes sense to you. It was just a reference to the pack animals. Uh, and they were always around um, in that day, and and so everybody would have been familiar with the imagery. Good question. David says, Pastor Ron, we're expecting our first child soon. Congratulations, David. Uh, and I want to know the best way to be a godly father. Bless your heart. Um, um, the, the most important thing you can do, two things. Um, first, demonstrably love your child's mother. Make sure that this child is born into a safe and secure household with no volume, no screaming, no yelling, that kind of thing. Uh, Just make sure that the house is a refuge for your child. You do that first by loving your wife. And second, and this is the most important, obviously, David, you got to be sold out for Jesus. You've got to love Jesus with all of your heart. Let your son or your daughter catch your contagious love for Jesus. And that's the most important thing you can do. Now, it's not always easy when you have a first child. I just now got some pictures from um, one of the young women who's grown up in our church. And uh, just this week, she had her uh, first child, her uh, Olivia and Ricky. And uh, I can't see the pictures. Everybody's passing around pictures on the phone because of my vision. I can't see it. So I said to to uh, Olivia's mom, I said, send me some emails. I can see them on my big computer screen. And this child is absolutely beautiful. And the way that they're holding her, we've got the, the, the husband, Ricky's a big, strong guy. And, and uh, Olivia's mom uh, has her in her arms. And the baby looks so safe and secure. David, your job is to make that child safe and secure all the days of his or her life the same way as will be indicated in those pictures when you first take them. And the only way you can do it is you've got to love Jesus with all of your heart. Don't let being tired, don't let lack of sleep, don't let those times when the baby is crying or not feeling well, don't let anything, anything make you forget to remember that this child is a gift from God. One of the things, David, that uh, I tell people all the time is that when you hold that child for the first time in your arms, it changes your life. I can't explain how it does. It just changes the way you think. It changes the way you feel. It changes everything. One of the things you've got to remember always is that God entrusted this child to you. Just to you. And so take your responsibility very, very seriously and make sure this little boy or little girl grows up knowing not only who Jesus is, I think that's true with most of our 
families, our kids come to church and they know who Jesus is. But make sure they know that he loves them. Make sure that they know that they're safe with him. And the way to do that is for you to demonstrate that in your own lives. It's a wonderful, wonderful blessing. I remember, David, when Paula, now this is 5,000 years ago, but I remember when Paula was just getting ready, we were getting ready to, to bring her home from, from our first son, Ronnie. And Paula was terrified. She kept saying, I'm just a kid having a kid. She actually told one of the nurses, she said, you can't send me home with this baby. Somebody's going to go home with me now. We do this. And, you know, we figured it out. But it changes everything. And the most important change, I hope, is gratitude. You will be so grateful to God for this. Don't forget God because you got a new toy in your house. Don't forgive God because your heart is smitten. Remember that he is the provider of the gifts. Good good question, David. You'll do great if that's your goal. Here is a question that comes in from Ben. He said, since no one can be perfect, why would God punish us for not being perfect? Well, Ben, first of all, God doesn't punish his people. Uh, when you sin willfully, God disciplines you, just like if you have children, you discipline them when they were willfully disobedient. But he doesn't punish you. Now, if you're talking about the, the broader picture, you know, people in the world, well, nobody can be perfect. Why do we have to, 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 to have Jesus or God will send us to hell? Well, the answer, and I misspoke, God doesn't send us to hell, we choose it. But the answer is, we can be perfect in Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, it's the last sentence in that chapter. It's the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we can't let the fact that we can't be perfect keep us from trying. We're, we're told to aim for perfection. Jesus says it. Paul says it. We're to aim for perfection. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever, Ben, is that if you are a believer, your imperfections have been covered by the blood of Jesus and his perfection, his righteousness, has been given to you. It's very important we understand that. And the offer of that righteousness goes out to everybody who's ever lived in the history of the world. So Jesus offers us a way to be perfect, Positionally, we're, we're still working it out, obviously, as we walk through our lives. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus sees you, if you're a believer, Ben, Jesus sees you and says, perfect. I don't know why it is we Christians think that just because we can't be perfect or because we, we, we're going to mess up, and we are, we're, we're in flesh and blood bodies, we're still plagued by the fall, the curse on this earth. But I don't know why sometimes we Christians sort of try to prove to God that we can be perfect. Then when we fall, we get mad at Him for it. You know, we don't send any of our high school juniors or seniors to take SAT tests and tell them, ah, don't bother, you can't be perfect. And we tell them to do their best. Well, that's what Jesus is telling us. Do your best. Walk with me. I've given you my perfection positionally. You're perfect. So let's now work that out. And by the way, this is called sanctification. Let's be a little bit more like Jesus every single day. So God only sends those or, or allows those to go to hell who don't want to live with him forever. I say this almost every time I get a question that deals with, with eternal punishment, Ben. But you see, every one of us, we're going to live somewhere forever. Every one of us. And in this life, Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man to die once and then face the judgment. So we live, we die, and then we're judged. We're the judge on the basis of what we've done, which is less than perfect, or we get judged on the basis of what Jesus has done, which is total perfection. 
So God doesn't punish you. But you're going to live somewhere forever. It's either with God, we call that heaven, or without God, we call that hell. So don't get frustrated because you can't be perfect. I know people, Ben, that sometimes think that Jesus is asking a little too much of us. That his expectations are too high. Consider this. Would you want a God who didn't expect perfection? So I hope that makes sense. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Amanda. Uh, She writes, Jesus allowed the Samaritan woman to go into town and teach the people about him. To me, that means if he didn't want women teaching men, he would have stopped her. Uh, Amanda, your your logic, though circular, is is um, lacking logic. Now, is there anywhere in the story about the Samaritan woman that indicates that Jesus appointed her a teacher or that she went and taught the people at all? She didn't teach the people. What she did was she said, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Now, this is a woman that people in the village in Samaria wouldn't have listened to. Evidently, she was sort of loose with the men, and and the, the otherwise, that's why she was at the, the well in Samaria by herself in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, instead of having gone out with the other women early in the morning. Um, and, and yet, suddenly, because something happened to her, she met Jesus, and something changed, she went back and she told everybody And when she did, they all came out. And the little mini-revival began. But Amanda, she wasn't a teacher or a pastor. She was an evangelist. Women can be evangelists. Now here's the real problem, Amanda. Ask yourself, why is it you want the one thing that God said women can't do in a church? The only thing. It's a lot like Adam and Eve in the garden. God said, everything here, everything here is yours. Imagine, we can't even imagine how beautiful it was, what the fruit would have tasted like in all of the garden. And yet he said, there's just one tree. That was a beautiful tree. I'm sure it was tempting, and I'm sure the fruit looked delicious. But God said you can't have that one tree's fruit. And she longed for it. She was seduced by an enemy, deceived, we're told in the New Testament. And the fall happened. With so many women, the one thing the Bible says you can't do in the church, be a leader, a pastor... And it seems to be what so many women are fixated on. So Amanda, if you don't want to listen to the Lord, if you don't want to obey the Lord, that's a choice that you'll make and you'll deal with the consequences. But don't flip through the pages of your Bible trying to find an excuse to do what you want to do when God has clearly told you what you can't do. You know, if you want to go through the Bible, look at Philip's four daughters. They were prophetesses. Women could do that. Women have the gift of teaching. Many, many women do. But they're to use that gift either in one-on-one counseling or they're to use it ministering to teaching women. And in every other way, every other role, women have complete access and it's just this one thing that in our culture we're fixated on. And Amanda, the fruit of it is always bad. I want to emphasize once more, because I'm sensitive to what people think, I want to emphasize once more that I'm going to say this carefully. When you step outside of your giftedness. Anybody. There's always going to be trouble and people's lives are at stake. Women are just as smart. 
just as gifted. But when they step outside of the boundaries that God himself has established, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. In the context there is in the church, it's, it's orderly worship. 1 Timothy chapter 2. When we step outside of God's boundaries, we're no longer operating in our giftedness or in the power of the Spirit. We're trying to do in our own strength something that God says, I, I didn't ask you to do. So I hope that makes sense, Amanda. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a good question from Damon. Pastor Ron, what advice would you give a worship leader about to step into his first role as the leader? Um, Damon, when I read your question, I got this question a few days ago, and I'm just now getting to it, but uh, when I read your question, uh, I, I thought back to um, the, the, the afternoon where Paul and I took uh, now Pastor Lane and his wife Jocelyn out to lunch. Um, they'd been functioning in worship ministry uh, for some time, but we had another pastor who was the uh, the the uh, worship pastor at the time, and uh, we knew we were sending him out to plan the church. And I just, you know, through talking to people and and uh, just listening to the Holy Spirit, I, I really believed that Lane was the guy that was going to be the new worship pastor. And he had no clue. And I remember taking uh, to uh, to lunch, and they didn't know why we, why we were taking him out to lunch. And I waited till the food just got ordered. Now, he was really hungry. <laughs> Wait till the food just got set down. I said, okay, here's why we're out here. Elaine, I think God wants you to be, he's chosen you to be our next worship leader. I don't think he ate another bite. And he was so humbled. He, Elaine cries easily. He was so humbled. He began to cry. And it just it's just one of those things. And I'll tell you, in response to your question when I told him. I said, the one thing I want you to do as a worship leader is to worship. As obvious as that sounds. What I meant was don't talk. Damon, it is one of the most distracting, annoying things worship leaders do. Between songs, they want to preach, they want to pray, they want to talk. We're there to worship. We don't need opinions. We don't need exhortations. Let's just do your job and worship. And praise God, um, I think I'm the best worship pastor in the whole world. And and uh, he has been an absolute delight. And and uh, the, the the atmosphere of worship here is is magnificent. So So that's the first thing. That's just practical advice. Don't talk, sing. Lead your team and sing. The second piece of advice, Damon, is to study the lyrics of the songs that you're going to sing every time you're going on stage. Those lyrics ought to rattle you to your core. And if you're not living them, you have no business on the stage. Real worship. Jesus said God is looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. And it has to be the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of our lives submitted and committed to Jesus Christ. So if you're doing sinful things, then you've disqualified yourself from being the worship leader. Be holy because God is holy. The next thing I would tell you is set an example of holiness, of joy, and of consistency for your team so that your team is functioning as one. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? You be the leader by example of that team. The next thing I would say is no shortcuts, rehearse. But when you have a rehearsal, there needs to be a Bible study. And I don't mean an hour-long Bible study, but a devotion or something. Just make sure everybody's on the same page. 
whatever God's put on your heart. And then rehearse as unto the Lord. Musicians have a, a tendency to get carried away with the music or their equipment. And they forget the most important thing is the position of their hearts before the Lord. So those are very, very important steps, Naaman. And may God bless you as you step into into this role. Uh, my last thing, and we've got less than a minute left in this half of the program. Um, when I leave on Sunday mornings, when I go out to walk with the Lord, it's been too cold lately, so when I stay home and talk to the Lord, one of the things I do is I, I, I pray at the beginning for our worship team. Paul is often on the worship team. And I'll just say, Lord, as they stand on that stage, may they stand in awe of the fact that you've chosen them to lead people like me with no talent at all into worship so they can really, really appreciate with grateful hearts what God's asked them to do. Hey, we'd love your calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday program, 340-9585. Damon, one more thing, uh, and I should have included this right at the top. No ego. This isn't about you. It's not a performance. Do the best you can with the right heart before God. And He will use you to change people's lives. That's an amazing thing to consider. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Daniel on line one. Daniel, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Uh, just call in just to ask you a question. Uh, mm-hmm. I was reading Ephesians 5, and uh, in there, the Paul's he's talking to the Ephesians about you know, living a godly life and not to be taking part in, you know, doing uh, evil. And then he says something to the, uh, about the light of Christ. I guess is he saying, trying to say that the, that the light of Christ within us will uh, expose the things that other people are doing, like maybe bring conviction to their lives or... Is he saying that we, because I've heard some people say, well, you know, you got to expose what people do by confronting them about their sin, you know, and I think sometimes I'm like, well, I don't know if that's the right tactic, because we all know we, you know, I think most people know that they do wrong, right? But I don't know, I'm just trying to get Paul, what, I'm thinking that he's trying to say that, you know, the way you live your life, that, you know, that it will bring conviction to other people's lives, or it might... I mean, can you correct me or, you know... Yeah, know Dan- Daniel, I, I think I think you're on the right track. Let me read the passage so everybody can, can understand. It's Ephesians 5. I'm going to go back to verse 8. It said, uh, uh, and, and this is such a great chapter. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then verse 10. This This is sort of the... The underlying theme, Daniel, of all of the New Testament says, and find out what pleases the Lord. So before I answer the expose them question, let me emphasize this. Every day, we who are Christians ought to pursue that which pleases the Lord. And I've had people tell me, Daniel, that, well, I don't know what pleases the Lord. All you have to do is open the book. Flee from sexual immorality. Um, live demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Find out what pleases the Lord. That list is long. It's in our book. There's so many things that that please God. And when we're pleasing the Lord, um, then, then we walk in the power of God. 
And then he says this, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. And then he quotes a proverb, this is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So Daniel, you're right, the context there demands that this isn't a going on a crusade and exposing what everybody else is doing, you know, not playing the Holy Spirit. This is simply by walking in the light, our light is going to shine on the darkness in other people's lives. And so that's what we're told to do. Now, obviously, Daniel, there is a time when we're to stand up, when somebody's doing something wrong, especially if it's a brother or sister in the Lord, and we've got to confront them in love. With, with what they're doing. Say, you know, you're a Christian. You can't do this. I've had so many times over the years, Daniel, when I would talk with somebody and they would, you know, I'm doing this. And, well, wait a minute. I thought you were saved. Well, well, I'm saved, Pastor. Well, if you're saved, how can you be doing this? And I wanted to think in those terms. And then as we walk in the light, then their darkness becomes blacker and blacker. So, uh, yeah, this isn't where to go around pointing our fingers at people. You know, I know um, bloggers, for an example, Daniel, who 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 use this inappropriate to say, well, we're on a crusade to call out people for their sins. That's never from the Lord. Um, if we're to expose people, if we're to talk to people, confront them, we do it in love, we do it in private. And Jesus said, you know, as long as you walk in the light, John says the same thing in First John. He said, because he is light, we who claim to be his need to walk in the light. And the more we walk in the light, um, the more other people are going to see the light of Jesus Christ. And then the Spirit of God will shine his light on them. So... Daniel, thank you very, very much. We had David on the line, and he hung up. David, I'm sorry if I went too long. You can... Oh, you're David, you're on? Are you back? Daniel. Oh, oh Daniel. Okay, I, th- I, yeah. I I, thought we had Dave, David, Daniel, who said he... Uh, I got a message. He hung up. He, he was calling as well. So, Daniel, oh, okay. uh, does that answer your question? Uh, yes, sir. I appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Thank you. You too. Merry Christmas, Daniel. God bless you. Okay, David, you can call back. Our lines are empty right now. Patrick said this. I'm laughing. Uh, Pastor Ron, if lust is a sin, how are we supposed to approach our lo- our wives? Um, Patrick, I have, I, and I'm sure I didn't invent this, but, but um, there's, there's such a thing as holy lust. And we ought then to lust after our wives. God wants our physical relationships with our wives to be um, uh, passionate. He wants it to be playful and fun. Uh, And and so there's a difference between the kind of lust that's forbidden in Scripture and a holy lust. It's like when God gives you eyes for just that one woman. Then you can lust after her in the most holy of ways. And so that's what we do. So don't feel any guilt or any condemnation for lusting after your wife, for enjoying or desiring an active sex life. It's exactly what God wants, Patrick. So you go ahead and lust after your wife all you want. Just be careful that you're not lusting after somebody else's wife or anybody else. Just your wife. You know, one of the things I appreciate the most about Paula, she's very modest. She's very, very modest. And um, not so much around me, but I mean, just really, really careful. And um, I'm less modest in the sense that we're just different. But when I'll say something to her, she'll say, oh, no, no, this is just for you, meaning her body. And I like that. I like that. I think that's a really good thing. So you go ahead and lust all you want after your wife. Let's go to Ben Darinell and talk with Celia on line one. Celia, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon. I I go to BSF in Burning, and we mm-hmm. had a, I had a question in our Bible study last night. 
and our instructor said, you need to ask somebody else. She said, I'm here to lead the discussion. She said, I'm not a teacher or a biblical. Well, this is probably... Anyway... Well, bless her, heart for, bless her heart for being honest and, and staying within her gifting. That's good. Yes. And I said, when we pray, and the, the Holy Spirit was given to us, and when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes, I may be incorrect, with Jesus as to our prayer and then he intercedes with us to God. Now, if we pray just to God, does God not hear our prayer because he can't look upon sin and we are sinful and it has to go through the Holy Spirit and then Jesus to God? <laughs> yeah. I think I get the question, and my, my answer is going to be a little bit detailed, so if I lose you, I'm sorry. But um, it, it's, it's very important we understand this. We, we look at, at, at the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, I think Correct. we have a tendency, logically, to look at them as three different persons with three different or separate agendas. And while it's true they're different persons, one God in three persons, they have exactly Correct. the same agenda. So um, the, the, the unity between fa- yeah the unity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is perfect, and so there's no competition, there's no envy. The other thing to remember, Celia, is that we have already been made perfect because of the intercession of Jesus Christ. So unless we're in open rebellious sin, our sins are forgiven, and we have complete and total access to God. So here's okay. the thing. We, we, Jesus ever lives to intercede for us. That statement in Hebrews really is, he is an everlasting statement of intercession. So the fact that he is there, seated at the right hand of God, means that access to the Father, access to the Son, access to the Holy Spirit is guaranteed. When it says, Paul writing to Corinth, that, that, that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Um, okay. Uh, uh, what he's doing, he's uh, it's, it's associated with the gift of tongues, and and we're praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. When we use our gift of tongues to pray, we're praying in the perfect will of God, even if we don't understand what it is. But it's not a, it's not a, a, a tier system where we pray the Holy Spirit, He cleanses us, and He takes us to Jesus. Jesus clears us, and then we go to the Father. It doesn't matter who you pray to. If you're praying to the Father, you're praying to the Son, you're praying to the Spirit, you're praying to Almighty God. All three are 100% God and 100% united one with the other. So there's no, you got to go to one to get to the other to get to the other. It's simply um, we pray in the name of Jesus, and by that I mean in the authority Jesus has given us, and in our access, and whether you're praying to the Father, you're praying to Jesus, or you're praying to the Holy Spirit, God is hearing those prayers, and all of them are getting through as long as you're not in willful sin, as long as your fellowship hasn't been broken. But, but so you, when, when, when you pray, and there's no willful, unrepentant sin in your life, when you pray, you have complete and total access to, to, to heaven, there's there's nothing keeping God from hearing your prayers, and whether you pray to the Father, the Son, or the Spirit is irrelevant as long as you're praying, and you're praying with the heart that's right before God. Does that make sense? Yes, and so she said everybody was trying to give their opinion. They said, when you find out and you come back in January, please tell us what you found, <laughs> what the answer was, and I said... I will. And they were going to research, too. So thank you. Well, good. Thank you for your answer. My pleasure. Give, give, give my regards to all the VSF ladies who, whenever people are getting together studying the Bible, I am thrilled. So God bless them for doing that. Thank you, Celia. I like that. Here is a question from Anonymous. I am a pastor's wife who now feels called to be 
to also be a pastor. I know you disagree because I've heard you, but there are plenty of churches that allow women pastors. Well, that doesn't make the churches that have women pastors right. Anonymous, if you're a pastor's wife, stick with the job. If you feel called to be a pastor, then your feelings are inappropriate. If you feel called to be a teacher, God bless you. There's women in your church that need to be taught. And the fact that lots of churches now have women pastors simply mean that there are a lot of people who are compromising their walk with Jesus. It's that simple. I, I have no idea why we insist on doing, I, I had a similar question earlier, why we insist on doing the one thing God told us not to do. But uh, it doesn't matter what you feel called to be. You are not called to be a pastor because the Bible forbids it. Accept your role. Be a blessing to your husband. Be a blessing to the church. And walk in your giftedness. Um, I would also assume that you've talked to your pastor husband (laughs) about this. Remember, he's your husband, but he's also your pastor. So accept the gifting God has given you, but you're not called to be a pastor because God wouldn't contradict himself. It's that simple. Let's go to the phones and talk with Jeff online too. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hola, mi querido pastor. ¿Cómo estás? Bien, ¿y tú? Ah, bendecido. Dios te bendiga. I've exhausted my span... I've exhausted my Spanish, Jeff, so. Okay. Well, Pastor, we, we thank you. And I know. We, we prayed, yeah, we prayed for you a lot. Thank you, and Paula. Thank you, and thank you, and Paula, and, and the church for praying for us on Saturday. We were still driving around 9.30, and I said, hey, the prayer service is starting. You know, let's pray for Calvary. So we prayed for you all. <laughs> Thanks. So, but um, I just wanted to share with you a little bit about how we did. I was just, Good. you know, I just living with, just living with Galatians six nine in my head, uh, you know, ever since we've been back, you know, let us not become weary of, in doing good. And, um, you know, I don't, you remember last, like, I guess about four months ago, when I was down there, my appendix decided to explode. Yeah, I remember um, the story. Yeah, and and this time was was great. We had a, a my starter in my truck stopped working so so we were kind of abandoned for a few hours and 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 we just asked the lord we just said god we know that you've got something very special for us right now and you want us to stay so we were we were parked right in front of the immigrant refuge and we knew of another pastor who who had another refuge and we reached out to him and he said you know what I've got a mechanic here who's an immigrant that just arrived about a month ago, but he worked on my van, and he did an amazing job. Let me see if I can find him. So within (laughs) about 30 minutes, this young man came to us, and it turns out he just arrived from Venezuela with his wife and a one-year-old baby. Mm. And we had the opportunity to spend three hours with this young man who did, first of all, he did an exceptional job, and... uh, uh, found the part for us, even, you know, at a great discount and everything, and didn't want us to pay him anything at the end. Of course, we had to bless him two or three times over what he expected, but <laughs> he, he led us into the, the Venezuelan community there where we have never been, and we got to talk with his wife and with him and with some other families that are there about what's really happening in Venezuela, and really everything that we've heard is true about the lack of medicine, the lack of food, not being able to get money out of the bank, even though you have it in your account and the bank's telling you, no, you want $100, we're only giving you five, you know, that kind of stuff. And it was just amazing that God allowed us a glimpse into a a community of refugees that we had not met before. And, um, And so... You know, for for a little problem with with a truck that that somebody fixed, and we were blessed with that opportunity, which opened another door for us. So it was it was really uh, another thing too. Crossing the bridge, uh, we had so much stuff in my truck, Pastor Ron. I mean, besides uh, 
150 gift bags. We had about 20 oversized blankets, and we had all kinds of food and things. And we've learned that you always declare. You always stop and tell them what you have. Mm-hmm. And my wife was praying particularly about this. And the agent that came up to us had those bright Oakley mirror shades on, and he looked really, and he looked like the Terminator, you know. And and we just, she just thought, oh no, Lord, you wouldn't bring us this far. And then, faster, he took his glasses off, and his eyes were so sweet it would make him melt. He looked like oh. a little kid with the glasses off. And my wife told him what we were doing and who we were. He says, you know, I gotta charge you something for all this. He says, you got a lot. How's twenty dollars now? When you know we're ready, we're ready with two hundred if that's what it takes. Yeah. How's twenty dollars now? Praise the Lord! Is this really awesome? See, prayer prayer works, doesn't it, Jeff? It sure does, Pastor. We're so grateful for you, and uh, please give an elbow to Sam over there in the corner. And I'll uh, do it. All right. You thank have a great day. Thank you for the follow up report. Appreciate it very much. Okay. God bless you. I think we've got David back on line one from San Antonio. David, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi there, Pastor Ron. Um, Hi. It, uh, there's been something that's pretty had been heavy on my heart for quite a while now, for at least about a year and a half. Ever since I've really been exposed to it, um, I just it's, it's been tough trying to cope with a lot of churches out there that seem to be teaching not necessarily a false gospel, but I guess you could say like an absent gospel where mm-hmm. um, in their sermons and things like that, they rarely talk about Christ. It's all about inspirational speaking and, you know, charismatic speaking, things of that nature. And and there's just so many people that I know that are going to these churches that are not being fed, but they're so like devoutly, um, uh, like really involved into their church or it's like, it's hard to tell them like, hey, you're not getting the whole truth, you know, kind of thing. So I feel like all these people um, are, uh, how, how do I see uh, I, I think, to me, what's worse than knowing that you're not saved is thinking you're saved, but you're not. And and I feel like a lot of these people who go to these churches are being taught this and being, you know, hey, you know, you're good to go, don't worry about it, you know, but they're really not because none of them have ever uh, biblically responded to the gospel because their church doesn't ever teach it. Um I just want to, want to kind of get your insight on that. Yeah, thank you, David. I, I, uh, you, you, welcome to my life. Um, just, just file this away and pray about it, David. But, but, but that's the kind of heart that that God gives the pastor. I, I, don't, I have no idea what your gifting is or calling is, but, but that's the kind of heart God gives a pastor, uh, somebody who's called to do um, what I do as an example. Um, I, I tell our church all the time. False hope is worse than no hope. And there's a lot of people who are going to churches um, who are being told they're okay. Um, get in the water, get baptized, and listen to our stories, give a little bit, and and uh, and you're going to go to heaven. When in fact Jesus said to the, to the most religious men in Israel that you must be born again. And we just don't see that kind of direct teaching. And um, it breaks my heart. But we have to remember, David, this is one of the signs of the last days. People gather around themselves, teachers, uh, because of their itching ears, will, 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 will gather around teachers who will scratch those itching ears. And um, all we can do, and, and this is your heart and mind, David, um, we need to be men who are committed to telling the truth in love. We don't want to be the... The, the one that spoils the party. You know, people are having fun. Oh, you can't have fun. We're Christians. It's not that at all. But but we have to be people that tell the truth in love. When we see somebody who's living in sin, we got to tell them. If they say, well, I go to church. Well, then open your Bible. And um, for the life of me, David, for the life of me, I cannot understand what a pastor is going to do on the day when he stands before the Lord to give account of his ministry. That pastor who has been dumbing down the text, who's been lightening the text up, who's been telling cute stories or inspirational stories. Jesus is going to say, what did you do with my word? You remember when the, the parable of the talents? What did you do with the talent I gave you? And 
There's going to be a whole bunch of people who are ashamed of what they did. Jesus is going to ask them, why are you ashamed of me? Why won't you declare my word? And nothing causes me more pain spiritually and emotionally than that very thing. We get people coming here from different churches all the time. And, and I'm, I'm, I praise the Lord that they're here. They're going to hear the Bible taught. I'm very, very direct when I teach. Um, but because of the backgrounds, the churches they come out of, that's exactly what they need to hear. And so it's really important. David, I had one person after my message this past Sunday. It was a, a, a serious message, but it wasn't like depressing or anything, but it was very direct. And um, somebody after the first service came and said, Pastor Ron, that was a scary service. I said, what do you mean it was scary? Well, you know, if you're not living right, I said, well, isn't that what you want? If you're not living right, you want somebody to tell you, you got to stop doing what you're doing. And unfortunately, that's just not the message. It doesn't fill seats. It doesn't big build, or it doesn't build big plush buildings. So the churches that we see, especially the really big ones, they're the ones who are scratching, itching ears. And David, your job, my job, is to tell people the truth in love wherever we go all the time. And I am, I, it, it's just heartbreaking. I can't express it deeply enough. It is heartbreaking to see the danger that, that people are in, and they do so with seemingly no sense of the danger. It's, it's an amazing thing. Hope that helps. We will have, and we're almost out of time today, we'll have uh, tomorrow night, instead of me teaching, we'll have Gail Irwin here. We'd love to have you come if you haven't seen or heard Gail Irwin. You can Google him, but he's going to be here. He's a great friend of mine, and his heart is really right with the Lord. Uh, So we will be here tomorrow night. May the Lord bless you and keep you. This has been the Word to Stand On for Life. I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, on AM 630, the Word at 4 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.